I'll be reading from John 3:16 through the end of the chapter. John 3:16 through the end of the chapter. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that, that what they have done <clears throat> excuse me, has been done in the sight of God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anan near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can only receive... I'm sorry, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who, who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He, testify, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Thank you, Ryan. It is good to see you this morning. So good morning, church. I want to join with Albert in welcoming you and uh, we do need to be in prayer for uh, the group that will be traveling back from Pigeon Forge this morning. And um, not just the group from here, but the well over 10,000 who will be making their way home after uh, what was a great weekend. I had a text from Adam this morning and he was talking about what a great event it's been. He was talking about the devotional uh, that the youth group had last night. And so for any of you who helped make it possible financially for somebody to go, uh, that's a really good thing. And I know everybody up there is being blessed by that. The other thing I wanted to mention, I'm thankful to all of you who have uh, wished well to me uh, regarding the engagement of my daughter. My bad wanted to talk about that two weeks ago, but I had not yet been given permission to talk about it, so I couldn't say anything. Uh, but if you see a nervous, faraway look in my eye, it probably means I'm thinking about a wedding. So just.
with me in that regard. We are in week 23 of the story and uh, Jesus was born and now Jesus' ministry is going to begin and that's what we're thinking about today. And as I thought about what's going to be going on in the Gospels as people respond to Jesus and His ministry, I could not help but think about what's going on with the presidential primaries right now here in our time and here in our country because the time that we're going through right now, for most of us, it is something like, unlike anything we've ever seen, you could make the case that it's unconventional, you could make the case that it's politically incorrect. The, the political establishment really is not in control of the process right now. It's almost circus-like because so many candidates have been involved. In fact, um, one person on the radio this morning, I heard them describe it as it's almost like a TV reality show. And of course there's irony in that because the reality shows we see on TV, they're really not reality. It's been terrifying for some. It's been invigorating for others. And like it or hate it, it is kind of the fulfillment of that old Monty Python line and now for something completely different. That's what we've got going on. And so we're all on the edge of our seats wondering what's going to happen next. Well, when you go back to the first century and the public ministry of Jesus is beginning, the people in that day and in that time, they could immediately see that something is different. This isn't going to be religion as usual, business as usual, religiously speaking. John the Baptist has been actively preparing the way. And it's, it's been his ministry to describe and, and talk about the one who's going to follow. When you notice Matthew chapter 3, you see John describing Jesus. He's saying, this guy coming behind me, he's mightier than I am. I'm not worthy to stoop down and, and unlatch his sandals. I'm baptizing you with water, but John says he's going to come along and he's going to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. John says, the one coming behind me, he is going to clear his threshing floor. He's going to gather the wheat into the barn and burn up the chaff. That's Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. John has been busy calling the people to repentance and to baptism. And as he does that, he's very bold in putting the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious establishment, he's putting them on notice there in Matthew chapter 3. He calls them a brood of vipers. And then when you notice what John is doing over in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 3, for the receptive hearers, John is trying to help people as he prepares the way that, okay, when you show up with repentance and when you show up with baptism, what that's going to look like after the fact is a changed life because people are asking questions and John starts illustrating for them how their lives should look different as they get ready for Jesus. And so with that, Jesus arrives from Galilee. He's baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. That's Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. Following His temptation in the wilderness, Jesus begins His public ministry. And in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, Mark describes it this way. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It's a simple message delivered by this compelling man as he begins his ministry. 
And so the response is to Jesus, because that's what this is about. People are going to hear Him, people are going to experience Him, and they're going to respond in a variety of ways to Him. And as you notice how people respond, you've got to wonder if they really understood what they were looking for. You've got to wonder if they really understood what they were going to see or what they were seeing. You've got to wonder if they really understood what they were experiencing. Place yourself, if you can, in in the shoes of the average Jew. In that day, as Jesus begins His ministry... You know about God's law because you're being instructed in that by the religious elite, the religious establishment. This this group of people, they've positioned themselves as religiously authoritative, but when you look at the way they're living, they're, they're all about lower story living. So you're dealing with that, and then you're also being... You're held accountable to God's law because they'll talk about that, but then they've also added a bunch of other things that they want to hold you accountable to. Later in his ministry, Jesus would describe the problem with the religious establishment. If you've got your Bible handy, turn it over to Matthew chapter 23 because he gives us some real insight. The Bible there says, beginning in verse 1, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the seat of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. And so if you're a Jew in that day, this is who's leading you. Jesus goes on to say, But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. Lower story living. They want to be seen by men. Verse 6, They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. Again, it's lower story living. They want to be recognized in this life for who they are. Verse 7, And respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. And so Jesus says, hey, that the guys who are in charge religiously, you don't want to live like them. Now, if they read the law, you need to follow the law, but, but don't follow their example because it's just not very good. And so that's what you're dealing with. And you've got to wonder if any of those Jews in that day would have been in that boat that we sometimes will hear people talk about being in today, where they're saying, you know, I'd like to have a relationship with God, but based on what I've seen, organized religion is not very attractive to me because uh, they've seen some inconsistencies. Or they might, in that day, there may have been some Jews who were completely turned off to a relationship with God because they're looking at perversion and inconsistency in how this is all being lived out by the people that they're following. And so Jesus arrives and He is this stark contrast to the religious establishment. Those who are used to being in control and used to dominating the day. And so the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it gives us some insight into how people are responding to Jesus. Notice the last couple of verses in Matthew chapter 7. Verse 28 says, When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. See, Jesus arrived as the guy who was actually going to be an example of living out the things that He talked about. 
That's why in places like Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus would say things like, well, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus didn't show up trying to take your money from you. Jesus didn't show up promising a lower story financial blessing if you'd just send him a gift. Jesus showed up to solve this upper story problem that people in that day could not solve on their own. And so it seems like every Jew should want to embrace this guy, right? Well, obviously, we we know that didn't happen. And so I think there's value for us in noticing how some of the people respond, some of the groups respond to Jesus. I think there's value for us today in learning from them. Responses to Jesus, well, some became followers. Now, we know that not every person that was actually following along behind Jesus was a disciple. Uh, In fact, as people followed Jesus, they liked what they were seeing. Sometimes Jesus would have to turn around and and, and challenge them. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is walking along and somebody in the entourage behind Him calls out and says, you know, I'll follow you wherever you go. And so Jesus wheels around and begins questioning the group behind Him. And He says, are you sure about that? Because I'm the homeless guy. And as he starts quizzing people and looking at individuals and saying, follow me, people begin making excuses. And Jesus concludes that paragraph, that narrative, by saying, no one having put his his hand to the plow and then looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's trying to help people understand that, that following can be hard. But as people are following, one of the things they're seeing, they're seeing this man who's healing people. And try to imagine what it might have been like to have been one of those people now following who had been healed by Jesus. Your leprosy is gone. You couldn't even be with the mainstream of society because of that disease that you had. But now you're back in... You can be among people again because you no longer have leprosy. That constant pain that was keeping you up at night, that pain doesn't plague you anymore. You can actually sleep. That demon that that possessed you, that sometimes would throw you on the ground and sometimes would throw you even into the fire, that demon doesn't plague you anymore. And you can walk now. People don't have to put you on a pallet and carry you everywhere you need to go because Jesus has come along and He's healed you and it's been immediate and now you can walk again. And see, there was a reason for all of this. John, in his gospel, his idea, his theme is, I want to show that Jesus is the Messiah. And so as all these things are going on, when you get to the end of John's gospel in chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 30, John makes this statement. He says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Jesus and the ministry, it wasn't just about changing the lives of people there in the first century who were sick, who were hurting. It was about changing their lives. But see, it was also about building the case such that He could change your life and such that He could change mine. It was about setting himself, positioning himself so that we would embrace the idea that he could solve our upper story problem. A second response 
of some, and this one isn't in your lesson notes today, but some were offended. They were astonished and offended by Jesus. That The, the hometown people, the people in Nazareth, in, in Matthew 13, when Jesus shows up in Nazareth, they're offended by Him because they remembered Him when He was young. And it may well have been that, well, how can this guy that I grew up with now be telling me how I need to live? And, and, and so verse 58 of Matthew 13 says, Jesus didn't spend much time with miracles among those folks because of their unbelief. A third response is that uh, there were some who felt threatened by Jesus. That would be the religious elite, those Pharisees, those Sadducees, those sects who were in control. They were, un- they, they, they were smart enough to see it. You couldn't deny the miracles. You couldn't deny His authority. They had to publicly deny it, but they could very quickly see that they were losing power and they were going to lose control. Notice John chapter 11. And if you've read through this before, you remember in John chapter 11, Jesus shows up and He raises His friend Lazarus from the dead. And so there's this discussion that occurs after that. Verse 45, Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what He'd done believed in Him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They feel threatened. They're losing power. They're losing control. And that's why verse 53 goes on to say, so from that day on, they planned together to kill Him. Some felt threatened. The text never mentions that the religious elite really had any desire to have an authentic, genuine, real relationship with God. Jesus was a threat to the good, lower-story life they were living. And that's why they feel threatened. And then the fourth reaction, some began following, but they were looking for Jesus to provide a lower story when. Again, you're a Jew, but you're living under Roman rule. And along with being controlled by the the Jewish religious elite, you pay your taxes to prop up a government that you don't respect and a government that really doesn't respect you. You think about, again, what's going on in our country right now. Part of the craziness with all the political stuff is that, that there are a lot of people right here in our country that are completely frustrated with their own government. And so you've got people in that day, they're, they're frustrated with the government that they answer to. They're religiously frustrated as well. And so Jesus has to dive in and devote some of His teaching. How do you handle this? How do you, how do you live? And Jesus is trying to point them to an upper story way of living. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, well, whoever forces you to go one mile, you go with Him too. When that Roman soldier stops you from what you're doing and makes you carry his stuff, by law, you've got to carry it a mile. Well, you don't stop at a mile. Just go ahead and go a second mile. And then in Matthew chapter 22, they're, they're quizzing him, well, what do we do about taxes? And his response, well, you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and then you render to God the things that are God's. That, that's how you deal with this in an upper story way. And so even though Jesus isn't promising to take down Rome, 
What some of the people seem to want more than anything is a guy to come along and deliver them from the misery of being under Roman rule. In other words, they want a lower story victory and maybe this guy will fix my existence here and now. And so that's why in John chapter 6 you see Jesus having to at times withdraw from the crowd. John chapter 6 beginning in verse 14 after He's fed the 5,000, Therefore when the people saw the sign which He had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take Him by force to make Him king, withdrew again to the mountain by Himself, alone. For us today, when we dive into what Jesus teaches and what Jesus calls us to is there ever a time where we become guilty of looking to Jesus and, 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 and hoping that He'll provide for us some kind of a lower story victory rather than staying focused on the upper story victory that He's already secured by going to the cross? I wonder what my response would have been in that day and in that time. But it's interesting to learn from those who were there and that leaves us with a couple of things I want us to think about because we're going to notice His ministry for, for, for a couple of weeks here upcoming. And as we think about Jesus and as we think about His ministry, these last three things in your notes this morning I think are worthwhile for us to remember. Number one, the purpose of Jesus and His ministry was alignment. And we come back to that because two weeks ago we were talking and we were thinking about the idea that we will find joy like none other when we align ourselves to what God wants, to His upper story plan. That's where we're going to find joy. Jesus came for alignment. John 3 verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Now that's to Nicodemus, that's to this man of the religious elite who comes to Jesus by night. He's saying, we, we, we know you're, we can't deny what you're up to. You've got to be from God. You couldn't do what you're doing if you weren't from God. So I need to understand this. And Jesus is explaining His purpose. Jesus says, my work is about salvation. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That statement comes from Jesus right after He declares that salvation has come to the home of the Jewish traitor Zacchaeus, that tax collector, the one who the religious elite wouldn't have given the time of day to. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to help people with alignment that the religious elite wouldn't even have considered. And so as we think about Jesus being the story of the Bible, and as we think about the idea that His purpose was to realign people with God, here's another important thing. Number two, the teachings of Jesus will always create a healthy tension within the heart of an honest hearer. See, I think that's important to remember. And I didn't get the word healthy in your lesson notes, but the tension that Jesus creates for us, that should be a, a, a healthy tension if we're honestly seeking Him. Why? The teaching of Jesus is always going to be challenging. And, and so there's, his, his teachings are the standard toward which we reach. 
And so there's always going to be a tension because as I look at where I am and I look at what Jesus calls me to, on this side of eternity, I'm never going to arrive. I'm always going to be this work in process. And so when I feel that tension that He creates for me, hopefully that's motivational. It ought to help me reach higher. Because sometimes we look at our shortcomings, we look at where we are, and we look at what Jesus is calling us to, and we get discouraged, feeling like it's, it's hopeless for us. But see, that's what Wade talked about last week. In those moments, will we bounce back? Or will we be cracked? And will we be broken? It's what Ben talked about Sunday night. Are we going to have that mindset that I look at where I am and where I ought to be, and my mindset is, I'm just going to keep swimming. He calls me higher. And then finally, number three, the more lower story focused we are, the greater that tension is always going to be. In Matthew 19, you have Jesus and you have the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, he is the guy, he has almost everything that life has to offer. And religiously, he's doing almost everything that God has called him to, but Jesus creates attention because Jesus points out the place where he is lacking. And Jesus says, hey, you've done a lot of great things, but I need you to do one more thing. I need you to sell what you've got and give it away. And so then in Matthew 19, in verse 22, you get this. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus turns and says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, his teachings, they don't make sense from a lower story perspective. Money, riches, stuff like that from a lower story perspective, I should be after all of that I can get. But see, when I start thinking in terms of the upper story, the teachings of Jesus, they are solid gold. Jesus says, I'm calling you something higher. And so for us, self-exam wise, upper story versus lower story, that's always a great self-exam question. When we're wrestling with the tension that Jesus creates. And if there's some of the tension, maybe that, Philip, you're just still too focused on the lower story. You've got to get your focus upward. It's the battle we fight every day. And so as we conclude, as Bradley gets ready to lead us in the song that's been selected this morning, I believe the question really becomes the same for all of us because we experience Jesus and then we, we have to choose how we're going to respond to Him. How... Are we responding to Jesus? Are you following Him today? Are you His child? Because we've pointed it out, Jesus doesn't promise pain-free, lower-story living. But the thing that Jesus does is He offers the only upper-story outcome that we'll want on that day when we face Him in judgment. And so the question is, are you ready to face Him today? If you had to face Him today, would you be ready? If you're not a Christian, I would challenge you to obey the Gospel today, to be baptized into, into Christ, to receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'd challenge you to take that step today. But maybe in some way you realize that as a Christian, you need your church family to help you be more upper story focused. 
And so if we can help you with prayer, if we can help you with encouragement, let that be known while we stand and while we sing.